Hello, and welcome to the Interdisciplinary Life Podcast, Episode 5. Today we take a 20th anniversary look back at the Real World 10, Back to New York, with Malik Cooper. We'll talk about social issues that still have relevance today, some behind-the-scenes stories. We'll talk about WWE superstar The Miz, and what is Malik doing now? Well, hello and welcome to the Interdisciplinary Life Podcast. You know, it's an interesting one because this is going to be our first episode of 2021. 2020 is in the rearview mirror, so everything is going to be fine from now on. Yay! (laughs) Yay! So shave my blip beard. I know, right? We all got to get rid of the pandemic beard. I probably have to dye my hair back, shave my head or something because I dyed my strip of my head pink now um because it's just i get bored but one of the things i was doing when i was bored is i started organizing all the legos because we have all these legos and they're in disarray and they're hard to build with and so i made this project i just dumped like all the legos in the middle of the floor in ryu's room and i started sorting them Uh out like these are for vehicles these are for building buildings these are minifigures right so but it takes all day because it's a it's a whole project yeah. and the only thing that is in ryu's room uh like for entertainment while i do that is a old uh, all-in-one tv vcr right mm-hmm. like a bigger version of what everybody used to have in the warm <laughs> room back in the day right uh uh-huh. vhs tapes i still like watching vhs tapes sometimes I actually wrote an article about how if you have small kids, having a VCR all-in-one is actually a great approach to getting a little extra sleep on the weekends because kids as young as like 18 months can put in a tape and then it just plays by itself and then it rewinds at the end and pops out. And so Ah. that was Ryu. We got all these Disney's movies on VHS and Ryu, when Ryu was a baby, could just put them in and watch the tapes. Wow. And they weren't coming in to me like, Daddy, wake up at six in the morning on Saturday. Um, Dang, so I suggest that tricks to all parents. parenthood. Uh, <laughs> I, might have to, I might have to borrow those, you know. I'm telling you, because now you now He's you literally got a 18 one. months. <laughs> you got a little one. I'm telling you, this is how it goes. But so I was doing the Legos. And I was like, well, I want to watch something. What do I want to watch? And I saw where we had the tapes. It said, real world tape one. I was like, oh man, I haven't watched that since it was on, right? Like I I need to watch it. And it was the real world 10 back to New York. It was their 10th anniversary. Mm -hmm. They had started in New York. They went back to New York and I was watching it because my dear friend was on the show and I thought it would be nice to watch. And as I was watching it, like I didn't expect this, but I realized like a lot of what they're talking about in the show still applies today and now it's 2021 it's 20 year anniversary of that show and so i thought it would be very cool to bring in malik cooper from the real world 10 back to new york uh to come in on the podcast and talk about what the experience was like looking back on it 20 years later i'm really interested to get your thoughts so here we have Malik Cooper <laughs> from the real world. You still have the fro. Like, I'm definitely jealous of that because still rocking I can't, the fro. You know. I can't grow hair anymore, but you're still, you still have it going. Yeah. 
so welcome. Maybe the, maybe the trick is I hide it under a hoodie recently. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll get into what you're doing now, right? A little bit later. But I guess the first thing is now it's been 20 years since you were on that show. Does it feel like that long? What are your sort of initial thoughts as you look back now, 20 years later, to being what, 23 and doing that show that was crazy uh you know I, it does feel like a long time you know and especially like watching a little bit of those um i saw some whatever was online you know i don't even have the tapes and they were like lost in my mom's uh garage somewhere probably but like it does feel like a long time you know and well, you're right though everything does feel like there's issues that were you know pertinent in our situation specific to our cast that are just as relevant today as they were then, you know, even more so when watching it, I think to all of these memories that just come in and they're like, dang, like we had so much fun out there. And of it, they made a show where they air about 1% of what they film, you know? And the experience is like wrapped up like your story on Instagram. You're like, you get these flashes of those exact moments that happened on tape and how they ended and how they developed and, it's 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 a ride and i loved the experience of it like just having reflected on it now i think i was so lucky to be just one of those few folks selected to go i just watched the whole season or at least all of it that my mom taped um <laughs> there might be some i think somewhere out of order <laughs> some of them might have been missing i don't know but i watched from the casting special all the way through just at the beginning is like when you decided to do it and then going in, like making your audition tape, going to the, the casting thing, which was the first time they had done that to do the casting. What were your thoughts? Like, did you have a goal going in? Did you have something in mind that you wanted to accomplish or was it just the experience? Well, I, I, I can't speak for, you know, obviously everyone's casting experience. I think mine was kind of interesting, unique. I learned a lot about the casting after but going into it you know Sorrell's girl had made me try out I had no idea what was really the real world it was even about I hadn't even watched the show and I just got kind of encouraged by a friend to just go to this audition you know and I remember because you know we're from we're from Berkeley we've gone to Telegraph all the time and just seeing like Laval's Pizza like just this huge line of everyone just like waiting to get a chance to audition and I'm like damn like this is crazy you know and in the line, I met one dude that I knew and we were talking to some like little gutter punk, homeless looking kid on the street, smoking, having fun, like didn't care. Cause again, I didn't really know what I was getting into. So I didn't really want it, you know? I was just like, whatever, if they take me, they take me, you know? And I remember he asked me a question with, and I didn't know there was a camera on me. And he was like, hey, what would happen if you went to New York? And I didn't even know that the show was going to New York, but I was, I was like, New York, damn. I. I probably meet my family, you know, I've never met them. And he was like, you never met your family, you know? And it just like <laughs> that little bit of drama, like captured, I was like, oh, okay. Like, you know, I saw that they had my attention and everyone was trying to distance themselves because we were like the two kids smoking in a line for all, all folks trying to audition. So no one wanted to be around us because they didn't want to smell like weed probably. <laughs> and it just ushered me in to this like crazy experience where you just sit down in a round table. Imagine everyone's trying to audition. You're sitting in a round table and this lady asked you two questions. 
two questions that define whatever you're going to be moving forward. And if they like your response, you go on. And if you don't, they're like, and the questions didn't have anything to do with our season. They were like, how do you feel about abortion? Uh, how do you feel about gun control? <laughs> it was just two random questions that the lady, but she saw how you would interact with other people and talk. And I guess after whatever we all had said, she looked at me and she was like, hey, stay for a second. And I was like, where do I take this form, you know? And she just like pushed me in the back where they give you a packet that has like, you know, hundreds and hundreds of questions. Some dumb things like draw yourself. <laughs> so I just drew a big ass Afro on a skateboard. <laughs> but I had to do this in school. I'm in college. So I had to like go to class and like, I'm like trying to like look at notes, filling out these little answers and just drop it back off. And within a week, they call you back for your, you know, your second audition. So that one was like with a big camera, like right in your face and you're sitting in a room and they're just talking to you about everything that you would bring up in your questionnaire, you know, things about you, your, your friends, they, they start to collect information. And I didn't know at the time, like, you know, all the stuff I was giving them, like, but they asked you for some of your friends' contacts. So they called Sorrell and asked him about me. And I remember the casting, like they did never had taken all of these people that wanted to go on a show and like put them down South and like get them to know a little bit. So that casting special was special and they never did it again. I don't know. <laughs> it was funny that we were like the only one they tried and I guess it failed in some respect because they never did it again. But it was really cool because when Sorrell had got his phone call, he was like nervous because he wanted me to get, you know, this opportunity. So he told me later, he goes, Malik, man, I hella lied on this call. And I was like, what What call? And he goes, dude, the real world people, they call me and they're asking me all these questions about you. And I was just worried, like, you weren't going to get on the show. Like, I, 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 I didn't know what to say about one question. I was like, what? What question? You know? And he goes, well, you know, they said, how do you, how do I piss you off? And I was like, what did you say? And he goes, man, I told him to throw you in a house full of racist white people from the South. And that's what and they so, did that's what they did they put me in with the, all the guys and i think it kind of like put them in a little bit of like intrigue because like the first day this white republican from texas named kevin wound up becoming like one of my best friends and even to this day like it's crazy like of all the people that you know i like you know learned about and loved on the show like he's one of the few castmates that i keep in contact with the most and like i visited him like last year he's a cool ass dude way different politically than you'd ever imagine and just one of the coolest homies that uh i was lucky enough to meet while i was there you know but See? yeah it was funny because that casting special was crazy because they just had us all in this one little house for like three days trying to get to know each other and then they picked the road rule and real world cast from that show yeah, so you, you kind of jumped ahead a little bit because I was going to be one of my questions. At the end of the series, you say that you were going to be friends with Kevin forever. And that was going to be one of my questions as we went through is like, did, is that really what happened? Yeah, you know, I lucky enough, I think we uh, we did kind of stay true to that, you know, and uh, that's that's pretty cool. Like of all the all the craziness and I, you know, it's there's a lot of great memories of me and all the other folks, but it was it was instantly like i knew me and him were going to be cool from that casting special and i was like okay so as long as i'm on whatever i was like i didn't care if i was on road rules i don't care if i was on real world i was like whatever 
as long as I'm with you, we, it'll be cool. You know, like I knew it was going to be like an experience that we were going to be okay with. And our cast was kind of like really divided by gender issues for a while, which I'm sure you might want to get into, but you know, that was cool to know he was already like, like a homie, you know, and, uh, and especially when those experiences are like that, but it is, uh, the good thing about the show, I think in general is that you are kind of forced out of a comfort zone in some respect. You, I never lived in New York, you know, I never had known these folks. I just had, you know, kind of pushed into the situation where, you know, from Berkeley and, I feel like I was one of the oldest people on the cast on the, at that time. Anyway, I think that I had old, like a little leg old. up and just feeling like <laughs> all of twenty three. You know, like oh, well, I know. You know, well, there was like what poor Rachel was like nineteen. You know, in New York City, like oh, I feel so bad. You can't, you know. But yeah, like even that, I just think that you know, we're from an area where they they as a casting agency go, we cast Berkeley all the time in the Bay Area because we call y'all the X factor. We don't know what we're going to get. And so they wound up, you know, I feel like they can know what area to go pick certain types of people. And then like throw in some folks from the band going, who knows what this is going to be like. And that's what we were, me and Coral, you know? <laughs> yeah. The, the gender thing you bring up, it's funny because I was watching it more on the racial stuff, which I think is also sort of pushed more to the center and how they cut the show up. Um, but the gender stuff is interesting. It did end up being like boys versus girls for part of the show. And it was also really mm -hmm. interesting watching the show. So I'm in Ryu's room. So Ryu watched a lot of it with me. And so watching it with my 11-year-old uh, non-binary kid who's mm -hmm. very uh, aware and sensitive to gender issues was a really, that was a whole different spin on watching it because watching anything mm. I think with kids like as a parent and as someone from the Bay, right? Like the mm. casual, like homophobia and casual misogyny of being 23, 20 years ago is a lot more stark, mm. you know, than That's I think, crazy. like, I think back in the day, we thought we were very open-minded and very like chill and cool about all that. And you watch that show and it's like, no, like people are still like, using gay as a as a just a general term for bad or like mm. it's funny like cross-dressing is super hilarious instead of just like some people's actual like life right like a lot mm -hmm. of stuff gets lampooned and made into a joke or used as an insult That's true. that we would never do now yeah and we i think we were worried about even like even that like i was like didn't want to even get pushed into doing that dressing thing but then felt like what are my friends gonna think? I don't do that at home, you know. Like, but during this casting thing, you're like, well, you know, everyone from the country is giving ideas of things to do, and you're like, getting pushed into doing it. Like, mm, it's okay, I guess, you know. Well, they'll understand. But yeah, when you think about it later, it's like, you know, it does marginalize somebody who is in a situation where it's not a joke to them. It's a lifestyle, or, you know. Um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's trip also seeing that you know when i when i watch the show i, I kind of look at what i feel like was missing in certain people you know like i think there was a a time where a lot of my friends got to meet coral after the show and we're just like blown away and with every one of them we'll be like man she's so cool i'm like she's so cool she's always been cool like she's hella cool but maybe what you saw was just a reaction to situations so much in the beginning i think with her 
because they are like they loved her reactions you know so they're just like they're showing you all this that you forget like you know she's a lot like us from the bay <laughs> like hella cool and like just more surprised by some of the things that you know you're hearing like what you don't know when black history month is none of you none of the people in our house knew that that month existed like no, we have to tell you that like like and to like absorb that on camera i think it people some people thought her like oh you know she's the the bitch of the show but i think she just got kind of like a, a, a bad cut in a lot of things like her family comes but you don't see this you know it was actually like her friend that really like brought us all back so coral kind of brought the end to this boy girl thing because we really started to all connect to her all the boys individually to her almost first in the end of that you know and uh and it was interesting seeing the that uh that those moments where you're just like damn like i i you know i wish i could say this or this now you know like because you know everything that you do say on tape exists forever and then you think about it later, like, oh, well, well, what happened to this part of this conversation that we were like battling for hours on, but why did this not make it? Or even why did they not come? Like some of our funniest moments came, they never came because they didn't want to film that, you know, they choose what they film almost, but they almost tried to film everything that they could. So that was like, those, uh, those rushes of emotions are always like fun to watch and, and talk about. So any issue, I'm always like, oh yeah yeah i loved it because this and this and this, and this. so yeah i i should watch them more because i think that the other seasons as they've progressed and all have this like one you know moment that you know could be relevant right now you know and you can think about it like oh well why did this person think that and even bring them on like you're bringing me on here you know so this is cool that you're doing yeah. this you could do like a mystery science uh director's commentary thing where you just watch the show and then you say what really happened right and we just you just do that for every episode it's all 40 oh, yeah, bits of malik saying what really happened <laughs> no that's funny it's interesting so in the early episodes right there's the whole mike coral thing right there's the the, mm -hmm. the conversation in the diner with you right where where it's yeah. like and it seems like mike and coral might end up being like the heart of the show over like there's like a three or four episode arc on us all about that um and in some ways i think that they do end up being the heart of the show like at least for me like as as the takeaway especially like seeing how they started mm -hmm. and then where they end up right at the end um yeah a couple episodes so what 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 can you tell us because especially looking back now on, you know, race is still a big issue. We haven't solved it. Obama didn't end racism. Um, looking back at, at that conversation in the diner, which I'm sure you remember because it was such a big part of it, um, to now, like who you are and who, how you see America as encapsulated, you know, sort of from that moment to today, what, what does that bring up for you? I, I think that does that actually that is a really great conversation that could encapsulate you know encapsulate what is happening right now in America in that if you think about those two people you're really having Coral you know explain to Mike that you know his history even though he might not feel like that he's racist that his history of white privilege exists that you know he comes from an environment where they act 
in ways that you know are racist. And he didn't understand. I think Mike is called, we nicknamed him like the sponge. I feel like he was trying to, like his show is like him just absorbing all this information. Like really, wow, wow, wow. And at the same time, like pursuing this like dream. And uh, where I feel like Coral kind of, me and Coral had to become like teachers a lot to the, to him and his journey through this. And I mean, it's kind of cool moment that he actually goes on a date in the end and he takes a girl to the waxing museum and he's like explaining to her things that he didn't know, but he was like, oh, this is Martin Luther King and Malcolm X. He like knew because of his experience on this, this show, you know, like, so I think he was like getting this understanding of how race exists, you know? I feel like he's one of those people that might, like I took him to an all black club, they didn't come. But I always think this is a funny Mike part is I took him to this like all black club and we were dancing this like reggae music and I'm having a good old time. And Mike's like sitting on the wall, like sipping a Mandarin and Sprite. And I tell these two girls, I'm like, yo, wait till you see my boy dance. And they're like, who's your boy? And I point to Mike, I'm like the Miz. And they're like, what? You know, like he gets on the dance floor, starts dancing and these girls just like loving him. And I think there was a cool moment that you could see for him that didn't make it. Whereas there's so many cool choral moments that didn't make it that brought that relationship too. Cause I do believe like you're saying that was part of the heart of the show because it kind of was this division that brought them together. And then they go on and they win challenges together because they're so close, you know? Right. And so it is really, it was beautiful to see their like story because it was like, what the hell are you? And then like, it wound up being like, I love you. And both sides just kind of come together. And it's kind of cool like that. Yeah, this I didn't is gonna know. make me miss four. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know about their whole like post show. Cause you know, I, I love the real world. Like the first season, the first couple of seasons and then they did San Francisco. So obviously I was really into that. But this was all when we were in high school, right? Mm. And then I didn't really watch mm -hmm. it for a few years. And then you were on. And then I watched that because you were on. And then I, I really never watched any of that, like, ever again, right? Um, so I didn't know about Mike and Coral's whole, like, challenge career that they had after that until I started doing research for, yeah. for this interview. That was cool to see. I was really surprised. I read an interview with Mike um, yeah. that was like, that basically he said, like, Coral's the only person he's in touch with. Yeah. And I could see that because they, you could see them you know, even on our season, they got, they got close, but when you do those challenges, I think it's a different thing. I never really liked the challenges. So my thing was like, when they offered them, they kind of offer you two routes, like a speaking thing you can do, and then you get involved in that. And that just was more of a, more of something I was more passionate about in the beginning of, you know, the after the show things. And then the challenge is your option. And I looked at the first challenge and, you know, a friend of mine had offered me a like a career job at the time I was like I'll pay you ten thousand not to go and I'm like what okay <laughs> you know like I'll stay and not go and that was fine with me and then I got to see one before I did it and then I just was like this isn't for me you know what I mean like it's fun experiences which is what Puck told me once he was like what you know I got to zip line for free and I traded all my clothes to a sunsplash ticket I was good like wow okay free trip to Jamaica he's kind of smart like that but the experience of just like how I thought they at the time um, rewarded just like the most like backstabbing behavior to get to this, you know, money, just, it didn't seem like that's how I want to make my money. And so I just never got into them. Um, and then as I hear more experiences from people, 
you know, like my homie Darrell is like, I go to win <laughs> and goes and like wins these challenges. Like he's just super, just dedicated to this, like that way. And, you know, when he commits to something, he does it. And it's cool to see both shows. I think they both have this really interesting aspect where you want to see exciting adventure, you know, obstacle races, but you also want to see like connections and people like building these, you know, relationships off of situations they go through. Well, right. I mean, I think that's the, that's what sucks people into all this, right? Like, I don't really need to see people living in a house. I live in a house. Like I've had roommates, right? Like I, that's not what's compelling. Yeah. It's, and just, you know, there's obstacles. You can watch Ninja Warrior if you want to see one dude do, you know, a thing or like UFC and they had their, uh, their reality show. I don't know if they still do it um, where they would take like guys who wanted to be UFC fighters and make them live together and then fight. Right? Like and yeah. that would be elimination um but people aren't wanting you can watch ufc if you just want to see the fight people want to see the the relationships and the human interest part of it right um mm -hmm. and I, I mean i think i was part of that reality show like craze that then took over the world for a while and now it more i think that's kind of toned down because we do it for free anyway we do it on zoom and we do it on instagram and we expose people to our you know reality for free and so it's there's a new, I mean, it's even more so that we're all more personal about, you know, how we feel, you know, so. Yeah, and that, that's, it's interesting. Like, so for me, Real World, like the first, ep, uh, the first season of Real World really was this groundbreaking, compelling thing because like I had never seen any reality TV. I don't know if that was really the first reality TV show, but it was like the first really major one that got like a lot of attention. And the real world just became like part of, I mean, part of American culture in a very deep way, right? It got all the spinoffs. Mm -hmm. Like that's why you have Big Brother. That's why you have a lot of reality shows came from that real world idea. And so again, going back to Ryu and watching the show with an 11 year old, <laughs> Ryu was watching it about. <laughs> yeah, oh, I would love to know his. Oh, I'll sprinkle him in as we go, but. Um, but one of them that, that comes to mind right now is they're watching like four or five episodes in and Ryu goes, dad, I feel like they're kind of ripping off the office, like the way they do the camera work and the little interviews and stuff like that. And I was like, oh my God. So then I had to explain like how a show like the office comes into being is because of the real world. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, yeah, you have the real world. And that format of like, we're going to follow you around all the time and then do the confessionals and pull you aside for a little mm -hmm. interview here and there. And that became actual documentaries like that, which then became the <laughs> mockumentary TV genre, right? Where that, that's exploded. Where mm -hmm. you, you have Parks and Rec and The Office and The Other Office and, you know, the whole David Grant <laughs> spin, like that's all true. of that came from the real world. Right? Yeah, and oh, explaining wow. that to a kid who doesn't have that background was just—it was a—that was a fun moment, right? Um, <laughs> That's tight. But you're talking about like you and Coral having to be teachers, and just knowing you—that's something that you've always had as a, like a core part of your personality, like your whole life. You've always been kind of a teacher. Yeah, and I think it fits in even now. I mean. Whatever business I do, I usually try to incorporate some sort of free aspect to it. You know, I've been teaching print shop stuff since I had my print shop. So already in 2015 years, you know, 
and I don't even get paid to do it. I just do it because I, I think you, you know, when you think about the world, you always want to try to give back, you know, and especially with younger folks, like, you know, they're the protagonists of change and, you know, they need trades. Like we used to, we actually come from high school that had more trades than some of them do now, you know? So it's kind of cool to see schools that really offer this kind of like uh, elective where they, you know, let you teach these young folks for a long time. And so that's been re rewarding for me in just a lot of ways, but I mean, yeah, the, the show was definitely, you know, edutainment. <laughs> <laughs> for the audience out there, we're talking about, uh, I can't even say his last name. <laughs> Most people I think today know him as The Miz, right? So just like, I yeah. think some people who might it's not last know the real world, I keep calling him Mike because for me, he's always going to be Mike from the real world. Cause even though I can get into my whole wrestling thing later, but um, even though he's known now as the Miz and he has his own show and like, it's another thing I was telling Ryu, like this guy's basically from that point on just lived his life on TV, you know, mm -hmm. in one way or another. In training. Yeah. Yeah. Lived, you lived know? It, for real. Like in a, a lot of ways, uh, you know, but it was it was exciting to know that this was a dream of a young kid. Like he told me he wanted to be a wrestler when he was a little boy. And I was like, yeah, I think we all like to wrestle when we were like in a little kid. But and we found out that the shows weren't real. Like we kind of all grew up out of it. But it like it was something that he never did. And he always did in his mind have this split personality where he was Mike, you know, and then he was the Miz. And you know it was it was fun to just i went to his house once when he was training to become a wrestler and he had hella roommates but he goes malik anything in the fridge you can eat it and i was like really and i opened the fridge it's like packed more than isaac jones which you can fill in the blank a huge household could live there off his food and i'm like oh my god you know and he was just building this huge muscle mass and like like his dream was really to get there and i think whatever it took to get there that you know on a positive side it did and it, it was really cool to see that like you can watch this show and see like this young man's his dream did come true you know even when people they even brought a wrestler on our show to bash him and to tell him that like you're never gonna make it and you can't and and i'm thinking even the guy at one point could be like you know what you can make it you know like give him some like like are you really gonna be just like this soul crushing wrestler persona the whole time or are you gonna pull him to the side and be like hey dude you know keep trying like you'll do it one day and i went i forgot who that wrestler was but i wonder if he laughs one day and goes dang he probably like i don't even know if i got a belt but he did you know so so it was and he, it doesn't come up until about halfway through the season when he starts like being the miz and mm -hmm. i had totally forgotten that and, and you so really get comfortable <laughs> for me to like be like oh my god he was doing this all the way back then and even obviously before that like he had this is a was a lifelong thing for him that i had no idea that was kind of a treat you know going back to mike and coral and that diner conversation and sort of really the theme throughout that whole show like god the part with mike's dad coming to town oh that was <laughs> so cringy and they're talking about <laughs> black people like you can't hire black people because their education and oh it just gets into so many issues like and you and Coral try mm -hmm. to tell them, right? Like, well, why do you think they don't have an education? Like, it's because of racism. It's not because they can't learn. Is and trying to like unpack all of those layers. Um, mm -hmm. And that was twenty years ago. And so for me, honestly, it was a little sad. I, I want to hear your thoughts. That obviously that's still people's mentality because we got Trump, 
and we see like what people say and what you see the, the viral videos of people posting online, has anything changed? No. In fact, I'm a better reader because anytime I hear about, you know, like a bombing, I got to read the whole article and then wait a day to find out that the person was white. Whereas, you know, if, if it was, you know, black suspect is, you know, armed and shooting somebody, it's like the first thing that they always will, you know, highlight is our race, but they tried to downplay uh, involvements of their own color when it comes to white people and terrorist acts and violence and even just, you know, when we think about police, you know, like just what happened to Mir Rice, you find out he still isn't getting justice and cops are just doing whatever they want with impunity. And it builds this culture where, you know, those people even go and become police that are racist already. And then they're like, yay, now I have a badge to do what I want and I can inflict terror upon, you know, communities of color with no problem, you know. Like when you think about Mike's dad, it's just like, if you feel for a kid who goes, you know, my dad, like I, I'm a father now. I want my son to idolize me, you know, and to actually almost be more, you know, woke than your father in the end of, has to be kind of like an eye-opening thing that you have to go through. But, you know, our society has kind of seeing it more than ever before, which I feel proud to say that, you know, we can have a movement you know, during a pandemic that was bigger than the civil rights that went all over the world, that exposed people to the truth, um, that is an opportunity. And that's not going to be the end all. This is, you know, like you said, it's 20 years. We're still, we're still going to be dealing with this our whole life. And hopefully Riot Generation can just take control, <laughs> breed it out, learn it out, love it out, figure it out. It's your guys' turn, you know. But we got to we got to get them a better earth to inherit in the first place. So that's our our goal. True. So I'm watching the show, and there's the diner moment, and then the next few episodes are really focusing on like Mike and Coral, and talking about race, and obviously um, Nicole, right, is jumping in there. Mm -hmm. And the way that it's edited together, like you come across as being really like loving and patient with Mike. Like again, that teacher, that teacher part of you that I think is just part of who you are is really evident. Um, and, and obviously, you know, I actually became a teacher and I don't have that in me. <laughs> it's probably why I'm not teaching anymore. <laughs> um, but how did you get well, to that you point? Know, your, your point isn't to like, I guess I didn't think, I went in there with anything, but I guess I did go into the show. I didn't want to go in there with like judgments. You know, I felt like the whole point is to get to know somebody, you know, I mean, life is a long game and there's going to be moments where you realize things about people. And I think everyone has something to learn. I love music and I love to, you know, DJ and all that, but I like to know what you listen to more than I like to play you what I listen to because I want to absorb some of the good songs that you like and see how my taste can evolve over time and I think that show is like I mean like yeah me and Nicole we used to argue for hours about issues and just I was crazy I mean if Eminem should rap you know <laughs> I remember those when we were like going at it and I didn't even like Eminem at the time but I felt like the right to defend him for hip-hop should have been okay I, you know I, I see this as a huge you know global historic phenomenon and music that I love and so I'm like why not you know, I don't, you know, uh, I didn't 
I didn't think that his the commodification of culture aspect to his personality should be part of it, you know. And I like the Beastie Boys too, so it was funny to see these like arguments. And then you know, a lot of them made it, some of them didn't, you know, but that were so long and deep. And and then like now, I'm wondering, you know, uh, yeah, I wonder how you feel about this because you know he's as successful as a hip hop artist or. Last I heard you did yoga. So maybe it's okay to absorb other people's stuff and we can all learn. And, and I think we would all probably have that in us to go like, damn, that's crazy. You know, like those combos were, were deep for those first few that especially because it was centered around race and you had Nicole, me, Coral, who all have, um, you know, very strong personalities to some degree. <laughs> but uh like different to agree you know? <laughs> a lot of this is editing right and a lot of this is also just what i know about you from knowing you but like you got nicole and coral who are going really hard on mike and then like again like you come across as being like really caring and i'm wondering like okay how much of that is editing how much of that is was intentional like were you thinking to yourself at the time like i need to be a counterpoint to the more like sort of vociferousness coming from the other two people and just or is that just who you are i don't know i, I guess i feel like it was it was part of me and, and part of also me and mike's journey together you know like me and mike did things like on camera we're telling everything that we horrible thing we'd had ever did to people that we cared about you know like just because we wanted to get to know each other and I, and I think that there's a part of him that I did care that I wanted him to learn you know and in that environment I didn't feel like he was you know resistant to learning you know he sat there and was like I'm telling him oh Rosa Parks okay let's sit down let's research on the internet we're gonna see the, you know information come at you we're gonna talk about this and ingrain things in your your mind and just see what happens and so yeah, that was that was a, I know a hard uh, like experience for him. But when you asked me if I felt like it's me, I always just thought like, yeah, you know, like I wanted to educate more than you know divide um, and judge. And I think that our we had that in us, you know, because we all want to put things in boxes and separate. But you know, when I looked at Mike, I just I, I think see someone that wants to learn why isn't more going like you're this and this and this it's like but i heard that this and this is happening and and you're like no mike that's because and he's like oh okay and he just takes it you know and i think that i hope that that show got that from from that and i also just you know i i, I kind of feel bad because i know that um these two people who are also telling him what's important you know, sometimes they get looked at, oh, you're, you're too hard on him, but it's like, no, like you need to know this stuff because if you don't, the ramifications are just real for our people. And so if you don't understand why these things are important, you're going to fail in your, you know, relationship with society and you could jeopardize us. You could hurt us not even knowing it. There's a little arc where you and Nicole have your big blow up over <laughs> blackness right mm -hmm. and she basically accuses you of, of being a poser on on mm -hmm. representing your community 
uh, as you look yeah. back on that 20 years later, what do you think about it? It's funny because I looked at that, you know, moment in a lot of ways with uh, me and Nicole, we kind of have both of a actual equal, you know, racial identity where we are made up of black and white, you know, where when we were getting to know each other, I mean, we had spent a lot of time in the casting and on these episodes, like building up to that moment, like talking and building and, and you know, getting along, arguing, you know, everything. So for that, like, I think that was our big blow up where, you know, she's like, you know, well, you've never had sex with a black girl. And I'm like thinking in my mind, well, I haven't had sex with that many girls in general, but yeah, you know, I'm going to be honest. Yeah. You know, I was thinking later, about that too. Yeah, I was I've like, sex with I was like 23. It doesn't make it like to me a thing where you have to or have to not. Like, I love all women and, you know, I've been with, a lot of different women because I don't look at race that way. And I think that part of my answer to, you know, racism is going, you can love being a person of color and love everyone and fall in love with love and marry for love and it's okay. And if you have mixed race babies and it's okay, you know, like it's Daddy. not an issue, <laughs> right? You know, I got one right at home, you know? Um, Me too. <laughs> And you're one year old as well, you know, so we're so all made of those little mixtures. And even, you know, even Coral, who's, you know, identified with being Creole, that's a mixture. It's like, there's a lot of people who have these mixtures in us. It's okay to be, you know, strong and identify with being Black and, you know, stand up for your people and be proud of yourself and marry for love and you're okay. And because that's how I've always felt, you know, and I'm okay. And then the decisions I make on the day-to-day, -day, you know, do I help or do I hurt my community, you know? Yeah. And I would argue that my conscience is clean like that. So that's kind of how I've lived my life, you know? But yeah, that was a, I remember that episode going like, oh shit, this is gonna, this is gonna air. And it's also gonna like last forever because one of the good things about the show is they tend not to show the end of arguments. They kind of show the, like the argument mm -hmm. and it lets that live. <laughs> You know, and even I remember, I think that was on like the social media and I saw some clip of it and the comments, they're just pouring in on all sides. And it, it shows you how successful the show is because of how they handle topics like that. You know, they let the viewers at home see this experience and kind of solve it themselves for what they think is, you know, their take on that question, that answer and all that. So. Yeah, yeah that was a, good TV. But right? then it learned a lot about me and Nicole because after it, we were like, we weren't cool. And she is like, you ain't shit. And, you know, then she was talking about Bobby, this guy that she thought was the shit. But oh, then yeah, he wound the whole, up coming the whole Bobby, in. Whole like, the whole Bobby. Bobby. Story, and he's like, oh, he's horrible. Yeah, exactly. And you guys yeah, weren't cool. Yeah. Even, even at the very end when everybody's putting their bags in the car, she was still dogging you. Mm -hmm. um, and it wasn't even until like after, I think after I learned a lot about her backstory in her life you know and gave me more context to nicole but yeah you know we we didn't and i think it was funny because i think they thought in the beginning that oh these two people might be a couple and they were like whoa that didn't happen you know? <laughs> did not happen <laughs> i i and so me sort of teasing you a little bit as we as we do you know because uh -huh. honestly as your friends we've gotten 20 years of good comedic material from you being on the uh, show always. 
but I, did, I sent you that little clip that I recorded about you talking about how you were definitely pretty much absolutely going to marry a black woman, have babies. And I was like, yo, yeah, and did I was, the girl know that, I, I, that that's course. the plan? And, you know, when she, she had to do her little research and getting to know me or whatever. And I'm like, you know, yeah. And if I don't, it's okay because I can still love y'all. I still love you, babe. <laughs> so, Yeah, that was one of the things that the, I think it was during the Nicole argument um you know at the end of that episode and then it comes back on the next one it's like the the intro plays right seven strangers shows in a live in a mm-hmm. house blah blah and ryu you know we're several episodes in now and ryu goes stop being polite malik's been nothing but polite and, <laughs> and i feel like and then we're and then the arista you guys get the job at arista that no mm-hmm. one can pronounce arista 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 <laughs> or air risk anyway um you guys get the job over there and then there's that whole arc and again ryu's like man malik's like really works hard at this job you know and i was like this is so great like ryu gets to see malik the role model like polite gets in arguments but it's like you can keep a level head there's no footage of you screaming at people and insulting people and like you know, you take the job seriously, the whole thing, like you became a role model to my kid, like just through watching this show, uh-huh. which was very wow, cool to thank see. You. But what was the- That would be nicer to me next year in fantasy then, okay? <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, I mean, I love, I love work. I, I work hard though. That's just me. I've always been like that, you know? I, I'm working on January 2nd, you know, I came in here, but, you know, and especially with, you know, music, I, I loved it. And I mean, and, and they honored me back. They offered me a job. They were they offered me the only position that they had for any of us. And they just said, hey, you want a job? And, you know, I turned them down because I wanted to come back home. But I did get that opportunity, which was, for me, hella rewarding. Like, they did see that I cared about the job, even though, you know, we're all supposed to be there to have fun. It's like, we're here to work. It's like, let's, let's enjoy this experience. We got to cool, you know, literally, like, build young little artists that some never did anything but it was fun to watch the music from that angle where i see 10 floors devoted to talent you know and especially when you know we have friends that were doing music and stuff and that might be talented artists i had never seen a big label operate like that like this was a machine you know you're going to each floor has its different focus and all of these people committed to you know driving this artist and you know, it's, it was cool to watch that, and uh, yeah, I was I was lucky. I think we had the of all the jobs that I saw on any. I was like, these jobs suck. I mean, I guess you could work at a casino; it was kind of fun. Yeah, Vegas, good. But I loved that we had a, that record label. That was fun. I thought that was so weird when it happened though, because the first few seasons they didn't give them any jobs. It was just the living in a house part, right? Like they mm-hmm. had no challenges. Yeah, no. The first season them. they had their own job. Yeah, know, watching TV. You know. And I, and I think part of the reason is because you want to see them together. And if you have all this opportunity to like, you know, I got to spend half of my day working and then come to y'all, it's just different. But if you're all working together and then like, you know, kicking it together, you really are uh, you know, kind of forced to either get to know, love or hate each other. So Right. I mean, they're forcing more, more of the action, which was also why I thought it felt more contrived right and as the i never watched it really again after you were on because it just seemed like they kept getting more contrived and less real right it was supposed to be real that's the name of the show um 
but I mean, how- I, and I think it, it was real in that like they try not to turn off the mics you know that aspect of it they were trying to you know like if they were if the cameras are there they're not supposed to tell people what to say you know and you do know that their that attempt was made whereas you know like I've heard about other shows where they get to tell they get to turn off the mic they get to allow the cameras to come and you're you know you're just keeping up with them you know <laughs> but it's like it's that that aspect was real but then yeah by the time you see the show you're like well you know less than one percent of it airs so you you do see an edited version of it so yeah it does have that element of you know it ain't all real and y'all didn't see this this this, this is you know so well but just the idea that like you know people living together and living their lives is very real we've all had roommates right stuff like that Mm -hmm. but nobody just swoops in and gave like when i lived at that big house with afra no one just swooped in and gave us all a job right no one like flew us to morocco or wherever you guys right like there was parts of it that you're like i mean i get it it makes good tv it makes good (laughs) tv and ultimately that's what it is right Mm -hmm. but i had this you know as a young person i had this you know weird set of ethics and values where i was like it's supposed to be real that's not real yeah like Like they should get their own job they should pay rent it's real right like your reaction to live in new york (laughs) right like the way that you dealt with these and even on our show dude I remember there was this moment where our bosses come to our house, right? And like, it's all these are our bosses at Arista, like coming in and hanging out and partying, drinking, having a good time. And they're like, you guys do not know how lucky you have it, man. I can't afford a house like this. And you're like, yeah, we have three floors. And it's like, all right, you know, usually you do get that luxury that, um, you know, I think we should have all taken advantage of just, you know, seeing this, you know, the state of New York. I've been all over New York since the show, but, you know, there we really pretty much just stayed in, you know, New York City and, you know, little surrounding boroughs. But yeah, I've been all over the state and it's a beautiful state, like all, you know, it's great. But yeah, there's a lot of things we should have been doing. And just, you know, if we didn't have to have a job, we would have, you know, I would have been at the, you know, Empire State Building and doing all the stuff that I did after the show while i was there you know right um i wound up moving back for like two months after the show that because that aired in 2001 mm-hmm. so then i moved back from like pretty much like august till september 10th right before september 11th i remember that's and then after that I, I left new york i was like i'm coming back to cali as soon as they allowed me to fly so there's a, a really big important episode uh where you get to meet this family that you had never met mm-hmm. yeah and it was it was gonna be like um it, my my grandma she's so sweet and you would have had a lot of moments but her heart is just too big and she would stop a lot of the moments and talk to the cameras because she thinks that you know hey there's a person there why can't i speak to them she doesn't understand the boundary that they create for us called they call it the wall right and so where it's not supposed to talk to production <laughs> you know and so there's like a four-man production crew but you're just supposed to pretend that they're not there like you know but you know you know telling an old lady that you know it's not really gonna happen <laughs> so we'd be like having these heart-to-heart moments like at one point we're like eating and i think you see part of that moment where we're eating and <laughs> and she looks up at the camera and she goes are you hungry baby <laughs> like the camera drops this camera's like oh no thank you so much thank you very much you know <laughs> and i was like can i get that moment because that's hella funny to me like you know like i was laughing my butt off like 
it was good. But yeah, I was I was lucky because that was one of the the big things for me. I just felt like I wanted I going into New York. I was like super excited for this time. You know, I'd even had like a part of me was even ready to even meet my dad or talk to him, my dad. I know I wasn't gonna probably meet him because he didn't live on the East Coast, but you know, I had never met his side of the family because he left when I was six months old. So I never really had that much of a connection to them. And then through it, my sister kind of like got the, you know, word out. And so we were able to, to like let them know I was coming and that I wanted to talk to them. I wanted to meet them. And so I got to meet my aunt, uncle and my grandma. And it was really cool. And even a moment where I, I meet, like I, I was telling, you know, my aunt, like I'm about to be uh, like, uh, 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 an uncle for the first time and she goes not the first you know and then this little girl's coming running down the street and she grabs her inside and it's winds up being her daughter and she runs up mommy I need some money for some shoes and she goes oh you are my child and, and I'm like oh you are my blood and we all just like it was really cool like you know eating at the family business all that like it was just it was one of those things that I was blessed to have uh, uh, you know shared with the world and just got to experience for myself you know yeah. And, you know, it's interesting because it wasn't until that show that I realized that we kind of had that in common, right? Like I did know my dad for small periods of time through my life, but my main relationship with outside of the family has been with aunts and uncles and cousins who live in New York, mm. you know? And so we both sort of have, I didn't, you know, that was a cool thing for me to learn about you that I didn't, hadn't known before. Yeah. Um, are you guys still in touch? Uh, you know, well, my grandma passed on, um, and I haven't really talked to, you know, my uncle out there in, in, in years, but for a while, in years after the show, we were able to like maintain this, you know, really cool friendship that was like, you know, every time I could try to come, I'd come, I'd talk, I went to go see them again, like <laughs> going to their house and just, you know, having years of presence that people would give them. And she's like, Malik, do you like liquor? And I'm like, what? She goes, that whole corner is just like, 20 years of Christmas gifts that this person has given to our business and I just never open them and be like you know brandy <laughs> like just boxes of it I'm like let me help you organize this <laughs> looking again just as sort of who you are so then oh man I watched the so I watched the casting special last I watched the oh, whole wow. thing and so when Hasella comes in to the vacation spot like I didn't know who she was <laughs> like where does she come from who is this You're like what and, and, and i wasn't you probably weren't watching road rules at the same time no i so never thought like, any road rules so i didn't know yeah like, yeah um and so you guys go on vacation at one point and you bring hisella as like your uh -huh. guest oh yeah and then uh -huh. she just blows up the whole spot and is shit talking people on video and you guys have oh, yeah, intervention even, with her even Oh, she even like shit talked me in this book, I think, and then like called me after and was like, I told all this bullshit about you in this book. I was like, why would you lie in the book? You know? <laughs> like, well, because you're going to look really good in the show and I'm not. And I was like, oh, okay. And I think that was one of her, you know, her things was just feeling like she wasn't like portrayed good in her show and then coming in our show wasn't portrayed good there. And then, yeah, she picked, she was kind of shady, but that was, that was her thing. Like she, you know, was definitely into uh like she bashed all the guys i remember like in one in her like grabbed a camera and like talked all this shit about us and coral was the only one that you saw that kind of like 
checked her. And I thought that moment was really special because you kind of, well, why would Coral check? Like, you know, unless, unless she cared about those boys, unless she cared about us. And so you knew, I think at that moment too, that, you know, part of our clique had like formed where Coral like did care about me. And it was like, you know, I love this dude. You're talking shit about this, like him, this person who brought you here or those two guys, like those guys are good. Like what's wrong with you? You know, like, so her having our back was like, oh yeah like that that made us like know that Coral's like the dope woman that she is and that I think that the season needed to see that too and for some you know respect so everything happened for a reason I guess <laughs> but again that was another moment for you where Hasella kind of came and it didn't turn out the way you wanted like maybe mm -hmm. you expected it seemed at least in how they cut it up oh yeah, yeah no we really like like at the point like it was crazy because I think a lot of people didn't expect that because she called my work every day, knowing that the cameras can't record those conversations and just tell me all these things, how she feels and how she like, we had, we kind of like, we were like, we like each other, you know, she had came in and was like that fun spark that we were like, oh my gosh, she like had fun with all the boys, like taking them out. We were all dancing, had a good time. And then me and her connected after that for a while. And then that happened or, you know, a little while. And then that happened. So. <laughs> yeah in the end it was like it made it made me realize okay like obviously like you know she has different motives and whatever but but it was again what was really striking for me as an adult watching it i mean i guess we were adults when we were 20 but you know whatever me as an old man watching it is again how even keeled and calm and respectful you are throughout like, it seems like whatever drama they tried to throw at you, you would answer with just these very, like, thoughtful and respectful responses. Yeah, well, thank you. <laughs> I mean, I so... <laughs> but aside, aside from, like, not going and doing the challenges and stuff, like... Like, do you think that being so calm and respectful and kind and loving and open and thoughtful do you think that was detrimental to you vis-a-vis -vis, like hmm. i don't know reality yeah. TV? like i've heard things like like in terms of like after the show success you know like i remember i went to um i don't know if i ever told you the story but i remember going in it was like like new year's I was in new york and i go to this bar and there's like kk holiday who, who was like a host at an mtv at the time and then there was a lot of other black people that worked at mtv and they're all just chilling having drinks and they're like malik come here we were just talking shit about you and i'm like what what's <laughs> up dude and he goes dude like tell tell him what you just said and he asked this lady to repeat what she had just said and she goes you don't know no, i get all these calls all day long for you and opportunities and stuff. But we just sent them all to this uh, empty junk mail that just kind of just deletes me messages after a while because that's not our job. We're not supposed to, you know, relay any of this stuff. So we just, whatever, just like, let it go. But they're like, they're like, Malik, you could be huge, you know, like, and they just told me, I was like, damn. I didn't, and I didn't know that really, Buna Murray is a production company. They sell the show to MTV. MTV then feels like, well, I don't have any obligation necessarily to this cast. And at the time, your season really ends and it's just one season one group one experience you know i was always telling them like if you ever had more than one season of anything it's going to be you're going to like kind of like propel those people into like celebrity stardom which is 
why the Jersey Shore cast, it almost didn't matter what they were, you're going to get invested into characters like that because you over more than one year, you're like, oh, I want to know what's happening, you know. But yeah, like I, I did think that the uh, the show doesn't really offer you those options. It's like whatever you do after is up to you. Um, but they, I did hear that there was a lot of us that got opportunities, but it just got funneled through the wrong channel. And so we never heard about them, you know. Well, that sucks. It does. <laughs> it does, man. I wanted to see more of that. Um, but I've gotten a lot of love for him, too. I remember meeting people, like, you know, and that's the enjoyment. Like, I met Pharrell, and he's one of the people I look up to in music. And he's like, man, I love you, man. Like, you're a one dope, positive black man. Anything you need, I got you. And I'm like, what? Can I get a beat for real? And he goes, you can find me, you can get it. And I was like, yeah, that's tight. Like, just rewarding in some respect to seeing people who, you know, acknowledge you and identify with you. And I met people all over this world that had that experience. And that was just for me, like, a joy. And it's been a joy even to this day. Like, you know, I get recognized all the time and find folks and just you know I met this person she named her son after me and it was like really kind of cool because you know her and her husband watched the show they named their kid their kid is black and El Salvadorian named Malik and I have a little black Adorian you know and it just it was really cool like meeting them now like met them like last year through on social media not person but met them and heard their story about you know issues of race and identification and, you know, how what they saw on our show was just, you know, mind boggling for them at a time and inspired them to do this and this and how their, their life has even changed even to this day and how they still have to deal with this stuff with them. And it was just it was really cool. Like, so we have a good I think a season that really focused on issues more so than some other ones that just like you said, they resonate today. You know, they resonated in people's lives then. Uh, and they resonate in the heart of people today, you know, like, so I'm, I'm lucky, you know. So looking back again, now it's been 20 years, the aftermath, not just the immediate aftermath, but like throughout your life, like, is this something that just happened when you were young and then it was over? Or is it something that has in some ways, I don't want to say defined you, that maybe is, is too deep, but has always like, has become a part of who you are. Like, did you go back to just being Malik or are you always in some way Malik from the real world? <laughs> yeah, that's hella funny. <laughs> I guess I'm both, you know, even my family sometimes says <laughs> as a joke, they're like Malik from a real world, <laughs> you know, like we joke about it, but, uh, you know, I, I, do, I do think that it was one of those moments that it propelled me to do things. So like from it, I was springboarded into, you know, motivational public speaking. And then in, into that, I was, you know, springboarded into like fighting, you know, big tobacco. And then, then to that, it was, you know, hip hop politics and, you know, organizing um, as a speaker for the National Hip Hop Political Convention that took place and organizing in the Bay where I'm from. You know, leading me to start these businesses because even with my friend at the time, you know, he we were still like getting all of this like residual love from the sh you know the show. Like companies would just send me clothes a lot. You know, I walked up to Puffy like, "Give me a jumpsuit." He goes, "It'll be there tomorrow at five o'clock." 
like, oh, okay, you know, like, damn. But it was getting all this like free clothing that me and Sora were like, let's start a clothing line with no experience in fashion design or business. We, you know, jump into this, but it, it, it leads you to things because I think it opened up a door for me in a comfort zone door that I was willing to constantly like break through for opportunities. And, you know, I, I started thinking like people that inspired me, you know, I'd, you start inheriting like and you know an IT iced tea was like a philosophy that I thought because iced tea was a guy who at the time like he was told hey can you rap and he was like I couldn't rap but I never told them that when they asked me can I act I couldn't act have you seen leprechaun <laughs> but I never told them that and if you look at his journey arc now I mean if if, if Ryu recognized him from anything but you know, a tea commercial or CSI or something, I'd be surprised because now that's what he is. And so I think a lot of people, you know, you get in afraid to kind of like try things, you know, but when really it's like, you're telling people what you can't do so much, you're used to it. Um, you almost believe it, you know, and really you need to stop and get out of that way of yourself, you know, and let opportunities kind of help. And, and, and my, my problem is I want to keep sometimes in one business I love the business, so I might stay there, but I've never been afraid to let that business evolve over time and to turn into different aspects of itself. And that's been my idea. Like, I know that there's a lot of people that, you know, grow up and want to be Shaq, you know? And the analogy I make is like, there's only one Shaq, you know? Um, but if I could be Spalding, you know, if I could have my name on every basketball <laughs> of a kid dreaming to be Shaq, that's what my focus would be because I would love to be in business. And I think that kind of encapsulates what a business is in that could be successful. You know, but, what was the, what was the tobacco thing? Well, um, and that was actually kind of the reason why I didn't even do the challenge was uh, someone also who had from the Bay, this guy had named yes was like Malik. Hey, I got a chance to do the challenge and I think you probably did too. And I was like, yeah, they asked me and it was right when my season had ended and he was pretty much like, well, I work um, in the, what was truth was a national campaign that was really big, but there was each state had its own version of it. And so he worked with all of these and he was like, this is something I'm really into. Like if you're down, like I can show you what I do. Like, you know, this is something that if you want to get into, like, there's not many of us doing this too. And I got into it. Like I'm reading all this research and finding out what really they're doing. I'm like, oh my God, okay. And so that's kind of what I did for five years, pretty much was doing a lot of those. And then, you know, the speeches that they give you with colleges is also something that you do. And it's like some, you know, someone will hit you up and be like, oh, we're doing a few castmates or speaking at this kind of college. Maybe the subject is like diversity or something. And then you go and you speak, but I, I did a lot of work for like New York had one and uh, that, you know, I go to all these little counties up in upstate New York where these young kids were really successful at kind of like curbing tobacco use in their community from really like the junior high and young high school was like the, the ages. And they were really successful so much that if you were seeing these commercials, Big Tobacco would put out these you know, commercials about, you know, smoking and how it was dangerous or bad or, and the reason why is because they're draining the fund because once you can't get sued twice. And so the master settlement where they lost all this money in a lawsuit, 
that's what these kids were using to operate their organizations. But I had never seen an organization with this kind of almost like a free budget because it had all this, you had all this access, you could do a lot with what you wanted to. And so these kids were doing really good, great work. And I learned a lot of stuff because I always just thought it was about cigarette smoking, but in a lot of places they chew, they dip, um, and they do other weird stuff with tobacco that is nasty for little kids. And I was just amazed that these young kids were doing really cool work. And that was one of the fun things that I did while uh, being off the show. So I'm sure our audience is dying to know what you're doing now. Can you, do you want to plug some of your current projects? What, what does Malik from the real world do with your time? What do you do with your time these days? You're a father now? I am a father. I I spend most of my days doing that. I love my son and I take care of him and I run business. I have a print shop in downtown Oakland called People's Choice Printing. I've been doing that for, this will be 15 years that I've had that shop and, uh, that's been, you know, obviously this last year was crazy with the pandemic, but that's just, you know, give me more time, kind of focus on how business can, you know, survive during those times, as well as more time just, you know, spending with Enzo, which has been dope for me, because this is my first kid, so I'm like super into being a dad, and, uh, you know, I helped my friend with his clothing line event, uh, little Cloud Sesh merch, you know, and I like to, like, think of myself as, you know, entering in a few other projects this year from people that are trying to start little small startups so i'm kind of excited for that what are you doing with that um well a few of my people i want to like plug the the idea when it's like there but they're pretty much trying to get more into you know cannabis businesses like i am but mostly my angle has been uh printing because i feel like i would rather you know supply what i see is this huge market of you know, merchandise products, you know. So like a lot of the things I like to do is have to do with fashion because I have my own print shop. So it allows me the, you know, easy opportunity to print something. So if it's a company that has a branding into it, they need merch. I've been like trying to get, helping them grow has been like my thing. And then I I, I got my clients roster down so that I could help the businesses that I do care about and I do print for just make sure that their stuff is done fast. And so my favorite client right now is uh, my homie Kumi. He has companies called I Love Being Black. Uh, I love being black.com. Go buy a shirt, go support this dope dude who has sprung this into like his own travel agency. Um, he helps businesses with like 3D uh, design, uh, website, every, every kind of development kind of thing is kind of sprung off of this concept about just like loving yourself and everything I print, I know is going to somebody who actually is proud and loves being black and loves themselves enough to buy a shirt, which I think is super cool. You know, you know, I used to print for Cal and all these other big companies and I just felt like it took up all my time. And so I kind of just got rid of that and thought, well, if I can help a homie who has like a clothing line or a friend with a really good idea, like that's enough time for me. That's all I need. And then the rest I want to spend with my kid you know, and so that's what's been really, uh, what's kind of keeping me happy, and, you know, I'm not as busy printing like I used to just print 12 hours a day now, I go in for like two or three hours, I get what I need to get done, and and then I can go enjoy the rest of my day. Yeah, you used to work a Play lot. Play you in fantasy football, and both get, <laughs> go, both get beat by your son this year. <laughs> yeah, I know, like, <laughs> 
I remember, yeah. I mean, you used to do a lot of printing. You get your back was all messed up. I mean, your work ethic has definitely never been in mm -hmm. question. I know that me starting on my little small business, I'm trying to come to you to get not so much merch to sell, obviously, because that's not what I do, but I wanted to get some shirts for my team. So I'm hoping we could do yeah, that. Yeah, for sure. That's exactly, I'm totally into that. That's what I want to do. It's like the small production runs for <clears throat> obviously friends, family, and, and cool concepts, you know? So hell yeah. Well, I think, I think after this thing, you got me a, a new idea for a business is just a, a, a Lego, organi Lego organizing type of structure that you can put into someone's home. And there you go. Cause you're like the second dad that's told me they spent all day doing Lego stuff. I'm like, I'm still not. Wow, is this too. my future? Because I already stepped on my first Lego the other day, and it was hella hurt at <laughs> night. <laughs> but thank you, Bruno, for having me on here, man. I really appreciate even talking to you. Yeah, thanks and, for coming uh, on. Go a little scroll down memory lane. <laughs> yeah, it's nice, and of course now it is perfect timing because I can hear my kids now are starting to scream, "Dad!" They're in some kind of fight, so I got to go break that. Uh, see, I know you got to get home. You got to go. I got to go, huh? All right. <laughs> well, Malik, thank you so much. Right, I love well, you much so love, much. Man. It was very cool uh, getting to look back on being young. I know, right? <laughs> All right, man. Hey, have a great day. All right, you too. The Interdisciplinary Life podcast was written and directed by Roberto Santiago. Our theme song is David Koresh by Abundant Society, all produced in association with NTDL Productions. Oh. Recording. We are.